Good morning, everyone. How are you this morning? Real, I like that. I like that. Can I be your friend? <laughs> I like positive people because I'm not always positive. I try to be, but it's great to be around positive people, and so many of you are. I know the environment of just what's going on in our world and what's going on in our state here in Missouri and around the United States, it does have an effect on us. I remember the first time about four Sundays ago that I went back to church for the first time as far as a meeting in our building. And, of course, we had to wear masks and the social distancing and all of that stuff. And, boy, it was strange. It really was. It was uh, the term that I used was sterile. It just felt sterile. Of course, there were uh, many people were missing. We didn't have any children's ministry on that day. So people with uh, teenagers and with uh, young children, nursery age children, they were not there, which takes a very important part of your church away, your family people, younger people. And so the majority of the people were more, uh, oh, probably middle-aged and older people that came and they're not always the most exciting people. And then just being under the pandemic, wondering, you know, what's going to happen here in church today? This is a strange environment. It just, it just wasn't normal. Now, last Sunday when we went, this was the fourth Sunday, things really have started to change. I think people are getting used to it. But now we've all come together here, away from home, different set of circumstances, and... Uh, just different restrictions that have been put on us. And, and uh, you've been quieter. There's not as many this year for obvious reasons. But uh, I think that it's been a wonderful week. And, uh, and uh, I hope that you have benefited from it. And I commend you in the midst of all of the confusion, all of the instability that surrounds us, for taking this time and coming out and making your spiritual well-being a priority in your life. It really is so important. And I hope that you'll take something from this week, whatever it might be. Everybody gets something different out of things like this. You know, uh, Mark will prepare all he did, and he did a wonderful job. Do you realize he's never preached that series before? Uh, you probably, I don't know if he mentioned that when he was teaching, but um, with all of the detail, all of the explanations that went into that it's difficult for a, a preacher, a speaker, to get rolling when you're constantly thinking about all of the details. And I, and I know that it was a big commitment for him to do that. Now, let me tell you about Mark. You got the real Mark in all of this. And what, what I mean by this, that is simply this. We spoke months ago, probably two, three months ago, we talked about the camp and what we were going to do. And he told me, he said, well, Brother George, this is what I'm thinking of doing. And what he did here is what he was thinking and planning and praying months ago. And he had told me then, he says, I've never preached on this before, but God is all over me to do this. And he did that. And I know that it was with a lot of effort. It's a lot easier for a pastor to take some and dust off some great sermons that have worked before pull them out of the file and come in and, and hit people with three or four sermons that have worked before, and he doesn't have to labor like he did. But he did that because he really believed that God wanted him to bring that to this camp. So if he's the one that's asked to teach, 
and God is working on him, and we trust that, that he is, do we not? Then we need to pay very close attention to the things that he said. And even though prayer isn't the most dynamic and exciting uh, subject, it may be, and probably is, in the top two or three uh, subjects in all of Scripture when it comes to a successful spiritual Christian life. You're not going to, and he said it several times, it's not going to happen without a good prayer life, without a, every revival that's ever started. You can trace it back historically. There were people that were praying for revival. So I really appreciate a Mark. I really appreciate what he brought uh, to us. And uh, if you can get recordings of this, if you've, get, you've got your notes and you took uh, careful notes, when you go home, go back through that and try to, when you go into your prayer closet the next time, walk through the steps, the places, the various artifacts that he presented to us and the typology and get into the habit of praying seriously the way he has uh, presented that to us uh, over the, the messages that he's preached to us. So I told him last night, face-to-face, uh, -face, I said, I really appreciate what you've done. I know how much work, or I have a pretty good idea how much work you put into this, and he could have done a lot of other things, but God was all over him to bring a series of messages on prayer. We live in difficult times, my friend, and sometimes that's the only thing left you can do. They may take your Bible away from you. They may close your church down, and all you're going to have left is your thoughts and your prayers. And if you're not used to thinking, and if you're not used to praying, that could be a very, very difficult time for you in the future. I don't know that it's going to happen, but if it does, we need to be prepared to be the kind of Christian people that can go through difficult times and still have a positive influence on others and be successful in our own Christian lives and please God and bring glory to God. Don't you agree to that? Come on, don't you agree to that? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? And I, I, I'm preaching to the choir, and you know what I mean. You're here because you want to be here. Not everybody that should be here came. And when you go home and share some of the things, they may not be necessarily as excited you are. They might even say, oh, he preached on prayer. Man, am I glad I didn't go. I don't know. You might hear somebody even say that. Now, I, my sermon really is one sermon. Uh, one of the problems with breaking them up like this is, you know, you kind of get your mind away from what was last said. What I'm going to do is I'm going to, I have 50 PowerPoint slides. Now listen, Mark has that every sermon that he preaches, at least 50. I've got two times to preach to you this morning. But what I want to do is I want you to see what my thinking was like and what, what I believe God wanted me to do with you and for you while I was here. I've never preached this series of messages either. Uh, when I was asked by the leadership to speak, a verse came to mind from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And I mean within 10 seconds when I hung up the phone, that verse popped into my mind. For without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. 
And I started thinking about that verse, and I started tearing it apart and found there's a sermon. There's at least four important things that need to be addressed in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And obviously, the first thing is without faith. So that's why we started at the base level. The most fundamental thing we could talk about in Christianity is faith and what is it and what isn't it and how important it is to have genuine faith to be a genuine Christian. Pray with me right now. Would you do that, Father? We come to you this morning and ask for your guidance, your wisdom, and your help. I'm so thankful for all of these folks that have come out to be part of this. And uh, we've got a, a morning yet to kind of bask in, in the friendships, the relationships, the truths that have been shared with us. And uh, we don't need to just run out of here like, boy, that's over. Let's move on to the next thing in life. Lord, it's a weekend. Help us to take our time to reflect on what we've heard, what we've done, the things that you have laid upon our hearts for your pleasure and for your honor and for your glory. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. All right. What I'm going to do is I'm going to review the first two messages in PowerPoint. So I'm going to ask these guys to kind of zip through with me so you can see the big picture of what I believe that God has laid upon me to say to you. So let's, we've got our, our first slide was faith. That's just our title slide. But slide number one says, for, but without faith, that was our uh, first subject, it is impossible to please him. And we talked about pleasing God. That's why God has created us, to please him. For he that cometh to God, coming to God pleases God must believe that he is. So I announced yesterday that we'll do a little bit of apologetics today. Huh? What is it that has convinced me and can convince other people to come to God? I mean, I've never met him physically or seen him. And an atheist would say, why would you believe in something you've never seen, touched, tasted, or experienced? That's where, where a materialist is coming from. If I can't see it, touch it, eat it, taste it, feel it, then it's not real. Of course, that's a stupid statement, but that's where atheists will begin to try to discount the value of anything spiritual, anything spiritual, and particularly Christianity. So here's the points, faith and pleasing God. So we talked about faith from and tried to define it and tell you what it is and what it isn't and why it's important and all that. That was the first message. Yesterday, what I did is I went over to um, Romans, the end of chapter 3, chapter 4, and just the beginning of chapter 5, where the word faith shows up many, many times. We got man's problems are given to us in Romans chapter 1. We find out that God holds everybody accountable and that the goodness of God leads us to, to repentance and that God has given us a conscience, even though you don't have a book in front of you or a law or whatever, God has given every man a conscience to hold each of us accountable for what is morally right and what is not morally right. 
But sin is kind of, uh, is, a, is a main theme in chapter 1, chapter 2, and then in chapter 3, verse number 10 says, there is none righteous, no, not one. Now, we haven't had any discussion of faith by the time we get to Romans chapter 3, verse number 10. We get there, there's none righteous, no, not one. Now, that sounds a little depressing to me. And what follows then up through verse number 19, there's several indictments against the human race. Uh, specific things that we morally fail at. And of course, what the text is attempting to do is to get us lost and realize how lost we really are. I think it's chapter 3, verse number 18, says something, there is no fear of God in them. And by the way, that's where salvation begins. That's where spiritual truth begins. Let me tell you, bottom line, why atheists do not believe and don't want to hear anything. Because they don't fear God. They don't fear God. They're not, they, they, they don't fear somebody that they don't believe in. They deny him. They laugh at the concept of God. They do not want to be subject. This is my observation in talking many conversations. They don't want to be uh, held accountable. They don't want to be under anyone else's authority. They want to be their own authority. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's where the book of Judges ends up. And that's what atheists want to do. They do not want to be held accountable to anyone. So they reject the idea of God. They reject the idea of moral absolutes. They reject the idea that they are a creation of some other greater or su superior being. That's where they are. So, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. How do, why did you come to God? What was it that convinced you to come to God? That's where it starts. You may not know anything about Jesus Christ, but you have to first believe in some kind of superior deity. And I say that's pretty uh, 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 general when I use that terminology. I'm not talking about you must believe in the God of the Bible. Some people just start out believing in some superior entity or individual above them. It could be, uh, it could be Zeus or Aphrodite or it could be uh, 330 million gods or something like that. But that's a start. Once you get people to believe in something that is superior to them and that they may be held accountable to, now we've got something to talk about. Don't get frustrated and don't get upset if people say things like that and go, man, that's stupid. Did you hear what he said? That's a start. You must come to God. So we're going to talk this morning in a little bit. We're going to talk about apologetics. What does that mean? How do people come to God once they have a fear of God or a fear of some divine being, a superior being to themselves? But if you don't have the fear of God, the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. That's what Proverbs says. So people that don't fear God you wonder why they're so whacked out in the things that they believe. They believe in, you know, that a panspermia. Do you know what panspermia is? That basically we came here from uh, aliens from another galaxy came and planted the seeds of humanity. And basically we were planted by aliens from another planet, universe, galaxy, or whatnot. That's panspermia. That's what a lot of atheists believe. 
Of course, there's problems with that. Where do the aliens come from? See, they don't have, we don't want to keep going back and say, gee, I never thought of where the aliens came from. Uh, but, but they had a cause. They had a beginning. So where do they come from? So some people believe in, in panspermia. Uh, and, I, and I could go through a lot of other words. I won't do that. I'm just kind of doing a review right now. Cometh the God must believe that he is. When people come to the place where they believe there is a God and, the, 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 and they accept that, even though they haven't trusted Jesus Christ, let me just say this. That pleases God when people have started down the journey to come to God. Don't get discouraged and upset. When people are asking questions, you better have the answers. What are the answers to the important and difficult questions? It says there that God is pleased with those that diligently seek him in verse 6. Do you diligently seek God to the degree that you have prepared yourself to give an answer to every man that asks of the hope that lies within you? Are you prepared to deal with somebody that comes up to you and says, you know, well, I don't believe in God. What will you say to that? Well, my pastor said there is one. And I believe the Bible. So you're wrong, I'm right, and then you walk away. Oh, yeah, you just convinced them. They're, they're going to be in church next Sunday morning going forward at the invitation. No, no. How do you answer someone? How do you deal with a person that starting from minus uh, 10, not at zero, but they're opposed to the idea of God? They're not neutral on the idea of God. They're against it. But anyway, the outline is this. Faith pleases God. Coming to God, you've got to believe, got to have faith, believe that he is to some degree. There's got to be a, a desire to head in that direction that maybe there is a God. And then it says, and believe that he is a rewarder. He's a rewarder. He's a good God. He's a good God. Eternal life is a great reward. Now, it's not an award because of something we've done, but it is an award that's given to us because of what somebody else has done. And we get to experience the reward or the award. And there's many of them in the Bible for the pro proper kinds of behavior that are shared with us in the Word of God. And then it says, them that diligently seek him. This is where I'm going to end in a little while. Diligently seek him. What does that mean? Do you diligently seek him? Now, you've gone out of your way and you've spent some of your money to be here. I'd say, yeah, you got, uh, you've proven to me that you have some interest. You spent your time. That's valuable. You spent your money to come here. You may have inconvenienced yourself to be here. You may have had to put other things that were important to you aside to be here. So you've come to giving you the benefit of the doubt to diligently seek him. That pleases God. Just the fact that you have gone out of your way, spent your time, your resources to come here to learn something about him and bring glory to him, that brings pleasure to him. Diligently seek him. I'm staying in a building, the what is it, the crossroads building over there where Spin Pizza is and the campus store and all that. And right outside there is a um, 
there's the stadium. You've seen the stadium. It's a beautiful, beautiful uh, a place over there. Well, I, I went out yesterday afternoon. I just, uh, I, even though it's nicely air-conditioned, I had to just get outside. And it was a lot warmer outside. But I went out, and I was sitting down overlooking the stadium. And I was watching. You know, there were people yesterday afternoon when it was 91 degrees. There were people working out. In the stadium, they were working out. What's the matter with these people? What's wrong with them? I watched one guy, an athlete, good, you know, good physique. He was doing quarter miles on the track out there. Quarter miles, sprints. He'd run a quarter mile. He'd take a rest, maybe two-minute rest. He'd do another quarter mile, as fast as he could. I assume he was running pretty fast. And he's out there, it's 91 degrees and sunny, and he's running quarter miles out on the track. There was a young lady over there. I was a long way away, couldn't see her age or whatnot, but it, it, she, just by what she could do, I assume that she's probably tw 25 or less. She was out in the bleachers, and she was climbing the stairs. She was doing stairs in the bleachers. And I thought... You know, you've got to be crazy right now. The sun's beating down on her. Well, I counted. I watched her go up. There's 60 steps from the bottom to the top of the bleachers. And what she did is she started on one end of the bleachers over here. She went up and down. Then she moved to the next row. She assumed a different posture. She walked up and she came down. She moved to the next row in the bleachers. She did double steps, two at a time to the top. Then she walked down. Then she moved to the... She was out there for a half hour, walking up and down stairs in 91 degrees. You know what she is? She's seeking something. She's doing that for a reason. She's diligent. She's into physical fitness. Maybe she's a soccer player. Maybe she's a basketball player. Maybe she's just lost her mind. I don't know. But she's one of those things. She's diligent. And I watched her and I thought to myself, how many of us as Christian people are as diligent as this young lady is walking up and down these stairs? In 91, 92 degrees sunshine at 2.30 in the afternoon in, uh, in this stadium. And it's hotter, by the way, down on the floor of the stadium than it is up in the stands. Diligently seek him. There's all kinds of illustrations of people like that that make things important to them that are basically benign compared to being a Christian. Now let's go through this. Let's go through our first lesson very, very quickly on the slides. Let me see where we are. We've got Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Let's, do, let's go to the next slide. Let's run through them here, and I'll tell you what it is. Oh, that, you've done the whole thing for me. Great. I'm way ahead of where I was. Let's bow for prayer, and I'll have an invitation. No, Romans chapter number 4. Now in Romans, let's click through these. Give me the next slide. Romans chapter number four, I can see this a lot easier. This is an outline of that particular chapter. And remember what we, we talked about faith and how it shows up. And I mentioned this from chapter number three, sin and all that. And then we come through the indictments against mankind. And as you come to the end of chapter three, faith begins to emerge and its salvation comes by faith in the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoa, that's a powerful statement. 
But now it shows up here in chapter number three. And since we're talking about faith, Paul says, let me explain to you what that means. Let me give you a practical illustration about faith so you don't get confused and misunderstand. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to use a very famous character from history. His name is Abraham. He is the father of us all. He is the grandfather of Israel. So technically speaking, he wasn't a Jew. He was a, before the Jews. He was a, I guess, a Gentile. Everybody was a Gentile at one time. So, and there's a reason for that, obviously. God is doing that purposely so Abraham can be the father of us all. And it says this in the third verse of chapter number four. It says that Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Well, what did he believe about God? If you don't know your Bible, you're probably thinking, well, God witnessed to him and gave him John 3.16, and uh, Abraham bowed his head and prayed, repented of his sins, and he confessed Christ as his Savior. But that's not the context of Romans chapter 4, verse 3. Romans chapter 4 is just put there to illustrate what real faith is all about. So that's what the out, well, go back up, guys. Don't go too far on me. So the outline says, the first eight verses simply says this, that salvation doesn't come through our works. That was my big problem before I became a Christian. I thought my Catholicism, sacraments, and all the rules, rites, rituals of, of Catholicism, and keeping them, going to confession, taking the Eucharist, keeping holy days, saying the rosary, all, and I did all that stuff faithfully. I don't think I said this uh, here in this presence, but I went to a Roman Catholic seminary for four and a half years to study to be a priest. I took Catholicism seriously. I was diligently seeking God as a young man. And that's what I knew. I grew up in a Catholic home, so I determined that I was going to be a priest by the grace of God, and I began to pursue an education in, in that area. But this, verses 1 through 8, this was my problem. My problem was I thought that my Catholicism would earn me some brownie points with God to get me to heaven. Oh, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but it was Jesus dying on the cross plus George's good works that would qualify me for eternal life. That's what I believed. That's what I was raised to believe, I believe. That's where I was when I was 20 years of age. Abraham's righteousness is also apart from circumcision. Chapter 15 of Genesis occurs before uh, Abraham was circumcised in chapter 17. So just in case a Jew thinks righteousness comes by being a circumcised Jew, Paul says, no, 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 no. Abraham received his righteousness because he believed God. What does that mean? He believed the words of God. Well, what did he believe? He, circumcision? I know. He believed God when God said, sacrifice your son Isaac, Genesis chapter 22. You do that, and then I'll declare you righteous. No, 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 no. Genesis 15, 15 is before 22, I believe. That is not what Paul is referring to. Paul is referring to the fact that Abraham was told that he would be a father of many nations. And Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So what, what did Abraham believe? This is what he believed. This is why this is so important. Hang on now. He believed what God said. 
He believed what God said, this book. That's what counted for righteousness for him. And we could have a long discussion about that, but leave it with that. He counted on what God said to be true. He believed it. All the things that we said about faith, you know, that uh, he was committed to this, that he trusted God, that he was obedient. And I know that's to a relative degree. Nobody's perfect. But to the point God looked at him and gave him imputed righteousness on the basis of the fact that he believed what God said. That's what faith is. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So it doesn't come by works. It doesn't come by circumcision. And by the way, Abraham chronologically preceded the birth of Moses. Now, we can come up with different dates, but there's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 700 years difference when Abraham was born and when Moses was born. About 700 years, approximately. So the law was given by Moses 700 years after what we're reading in, in, in Genesis chapter 15. 700 years or six to 700 years, something like that. So what is Paul saying? He's just simply saying, you know what? You're not saved by working. You're not saved by religious rituals, signs, baptisms, and whatnot. You're not saved by keeping the law, even though the law is good, he says there, because it shows us our sin. But you don't get saved by keeping the law. He says, Abraham's righteousness came by faith. By believing what God said. That's what chapter 4 is all about. There's two great chapters in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11 and Hebrews chapter, in Romans chapter number 4. In Hebrews chapter number 11, what we're reading is more of a practical illustration of what faith is all about. As you go down through that chapter, you read... Uh, the names of many different people who did something commendable. They were obedient because by faith they did something. By faith, Abel did something. By faith, Noah did something. By faith, Abraham did something. By faith, David did something. None of those people are perfect people. But it was by faith that God imputed righteousness to them because they believed what God said. That's what faith is. It's so clear. Now let me ask you, and this is, the, this is where a series of messages like this goes. By faith, you claim faith. Now, what do you do? What do you do to show your faith? Show me your faith. By your works. How about doing it in a diligent way? Diligently. Go on out there this afternoon, go out to the stadium and run up those stairs and up and down those stairs and do that about, oh, 16 times in the 90 degree heat and sunshine and you'll find out what diligent is all about. Maybe the second or third trip up and down, you'll know what diligent is all about, thinking you got 10 more trips up and down. You understand? People like that are diligent. I have a son-in-law 
I have a couple son-in-laws, but I have a son-in-law who competes in national foul shooting contests. National. He goes to Las Vegas. He's been there at least twice competing in a United States foul shooting contest. He's a good foul shooter. You don't go to Las Vegas and compete. One day I was at our school and I said, oh, I'll rebound for you. His name is JJ. He's about five foot nine. Great shooter. He's a great high school basketball player. He's in his 40s now. He still can shoot foul shots. So I said, I'll rebound for you, JJ. So I got into the basket and he started shooting. He put in 132 foul shots in a row. In a row. You know why he can do that? Because there's a time in his life, and even today, where he diligently seeks to be the best foul shooter in America. Now, the last time that he went to Las Vegas, I believe he told me that he came in fourth in a national tournament. I can't remember. He shot somewhere in the hundreds in the tournament. The winner shot over 600 straight foul shoot shots to win the title as the best foul shooter at that tournament. Now, what do you think that person does? Diligently shoots foul shots. I've heard of uh, golf athletes, uh, maybe people like a Tiger Woods or whatnot, who get up in the morning and they go out to the driving range and they start their day by hitting 500 shots off the tee, just kind of to get warmed up. Now, that's not anything. Whenever I play a round of golf, I usually do about 500 shots myself. Something like, I'm just kidding, that's a joke, okay? No, I've never shot 500. 300, but not 500. But anyway, um, but people who diligently seek things, they make time for what is important, and then they actually do something to get better at it. How about you? What are you doing to become a better Christian? Do you realize what a blessing it is, what a great opportunity it is to have a Bible institute in your church or available to you? You realize you've got some of the finest Bible teachers available to you and you've got to sign up for a measly, I don't know, 40 bucks or whatever it is to take a course and some of you don't have the time to do that. And maybe you don't have the time to do that, but a lot of you do. And you're just not diligently seeking. It's not that important. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, TV, music channels, whatever it is, I don't know. We can put in six to eight hours a day in our entertainment, but when it comes time to taking some time out, to take a two-hour or a four-hour course and doing a little homework, we don't have time. We're not diligently... You're not a serious Christian if you're not growing in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why do we stop? We come to the place we start and we're just enamored with the biblical truth. We come to a place and then we plateau out. And then after a while we just kind of fall off the edge there and go off into oblivion. Why? Why? Why is it important to you? Diligently seeking. I'm not going to say every one of you ought to be in an institute class 
But I'll bet you half of you ought to be and could be if you really wanted to. I don't know what your life's like and all the responsibilities you have, so don't, don't come back on me and say, Oh, Pastor Grace, you just don't know what I got to... Listen, I grew up. I've been through life a little bit. I know life is tough, and I've had plenty of responsibilities. I've got five children, and I pastored a church, and I, I understand. I understand. But I've always had time to study my Bible. I've always had time to grow in grace and in the knowledge. You know why? Because it's important. This is important. And I know you know that to a degree. That's why you spent your money and your time to come out here. It's important. It's important. Anyway, we can run right through this. Let's run through the slides quickly. Let's see if I got something else to say. 19. Here's a, I quoted this. This is Genesis 15. This isn't Abraham sacrificing Isaac. It's not his circumcision. It's simply believing God when God said, uh, you're going to be the father of many nations. And God imputed to him for righteousness. Next slide, if I could. When was Abraham made righteous? That's what Romans 4.9 says. Next slide, please. Why was he made righteous? Because he believed God. Next slide, please. What is faith? Faith is the substance. I want to see some substance. I want to see some evidence of your faith. Don't just tell me you're a believer. You say, well, I don't owe you anything. No, you don't owe me anything. But if you're going to be a good witness and testimony, you owe other Christians some evidence to show them that this is the right way to live your life, diligently seeking him as a Christian. Next slide, please. Faith without works is dead. Where's your evidence? Where's the substance? Or do you have a dead faith? Next slide, please. What faith is not? I think we've covered that. Next, the effects or accomplishments of faith. This is an outline of the chapter. Next one, the nature of faith, some practical illustrations. And, of course, Abraham is the illustration that is used there because God says, to Abraham, you're going to be the father of many, many nations. And Abraham's 100 years of age, and he hasn't got any children. I am 73 years old. I am not going to have any more children. And it isn't necessarily my choice. It ain't going to happen. You understand that? Not at 73 years of age. just doesn't happen. Abraham's 100. His wife is 90. Her womb, she's not had a child. She's not going to have a child unless God does something really special. And Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. That's the illustration. And it says in verse 20, I love this verse. I love this about the King James. It says, and he staggered not at the promises of God. He staggered not. That's what faith is. Believing God. Believing what he said. Give me the next one here. Let's see where we are. The beneficiaries. This is what ends the chapter. And then I took you into chapter 5 yesterday. That's where we ended. And showed that because of this faith, we now have access. And I made application to what Mark was teaching at night. 
Now we have access. What Mark is talking about in the tabernacle, now we have access to the gates and the courts in all of the furnishings of the tabernacle and the holy of holies. We have access through Christ. And that's essentially what Mark has been teaching us this week. Let's see the next slide. And this is just kind of summing up again. Faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Substance in evidence. Substance in evidence. Where is your substance, the substance of your faith? Prove it. Where's the evidence? Could you be convicted in a court of law of being a Christian by the evidence that is obvious in your life? Or is there no evidence? Evidence. And that's where we ended yesterday. And that's where we're going to take a break right now. And I'm going to do my last two in the next session, all right? Father, thank you for the time together. We're going to take a break right now. I'm not sure if I'm on calendar, but I am on my calendar. I know that. So bless these people now as we take a few moments off, gather our thoughts, and come back in here quickly to wrap this all up in the next few moments. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.